Father, we, we come before you again in Jesus' name, and God, we thank you for your word. Father, if it wasn't for your word, uh, this wouldn't be a useful time, Lord. This would just be us uh, in a room making up ways that we want to talk to a God that we've imagined, but you've revealed yourself to us, God. So, God, we pray uh, that you'd reveal yourself to us now. You'd help us to see you clearly and respond to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, as John said, we're taking a, um, a break from my series in the Gospel of Mark. And the way that we decided to go through the Gospel of Mark means that we're doing big chunks at a time, right? So we have lots of text. I know sometimes you guys may hear what the text is and get afraid that we'll be here all day. And uh, one of the, there are pros and cons to going through big sections of text like that. And one of the hard things is you don't get lots of time to soak in all the stuff in those texts. So today we're going to do the exact opposite of that, and we're just going to look at one verse. And as we look at this one verse, if you haven't already figured it out today, it has to do with fear. I think the main point of the text we're looking at today is that knowing God means we don't have to know fear. Knowing God means we don't have to know fear. Now, fear is a part of all of our lives, right? All of us have some fears. We deal with fear in different parts of our lives. One example I can think of from my life, mostly in the past, that I feared is the IRS. <laughs> Just let me explain to you why that would be a fear of mine. Because I'm an artist, and that's the main way that I provide for my family, that means my taxes are a little bit more uh, complex and difficult than your average person. I'm self-employed, and there's all kinds of deductions and strange things, and I always failed math. And all those years, I wondered, Lord, why am I doing math? I wish somebody would have said, well, there comes a time when you may need a little bit of it. But as my, uh, as my career changed, and it got a little bit bigger, and taxes got harder and harder, I hired an accountant. And I hired that accountant because I thought, man, I do not want to have to worry about the IRS knocking on my door. So I'm going to just hand it all over to this accountant, and then I'll be able to just relax. So we did that. We handed it all over to this accountant, and we relaxed until we started getting some strange notices in the mail. So that, just in case you're wondering, the IRS doesn't send you love letters. So if you get something from them, it's not usually good. And so we <laughs> amen. So <laughs> we might need to have a special prayer time after the message. Um, and so we would get these notices, and they would say, hey, you owe this. Oh, there's a fine because this is overdue. And every time it would happen, we would call the accountant like, hey, I thought this was taken care of. They're like, oh, my bad, I forgot about that. Now we're good. And this just kept happening and happening and happening and happening. So, of course, I lived in fear. I would have nightmares of SWAT teams kicking down my door asking for my banking information. So the Lord revealed to me that I needed to find a new accountant. So I did. <laughs> I got a new accountant, and <laughs> with this new accountant, they actually did have all the things under control. So we got them the information. They took care of all the deductions, took care of all the difficult things. Uh, and now me and my wife are actually able to do what we always wanted to do is we wanted to rest. And, and here's the thing about fear. Fear doesn't always happen just because of the situation before you. The way that you respond to a situation depends in part on whose hands it's in, right? So when it was in the first accountant's hands, the tech, I couldn't rest or relax anymore. I never knew when things were going to go terribly. 
But those same exact things, those same exact taxes don't scare us in the same way because they're in the hands of somebody that we trust. So what God is going to say to us in this text is that the way that we typically assess whether or not we should be afraid has now changed if we know God. Usually, when we figure out whether or not we should be afraid, we look at how scary or strong the enemy or the opponent is. Whereas God is saying, you should ask yourself whether you should fear in a different way. Do I have to fear in this situation? The only question we need to ask ourselves is, do I know God? And if I know God, then I do not have to know fear. I want you to turn to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. And we're going to be reading verse 10. Uh, This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, so I just want to take some time for us to be able to soak in this. And um, here in this section of Isaiah, God is speaking to his people. He's comforting them in the midst of a hard time. And we'll talk about a little bit more of the background in a second, but here's what I want you to pay attention to while I read it. I want you to pay attention to how committed and decisive God's love for his people is. The words he speaks to his people. So fear is the theme here, but the main thing I want us to pay attention to is the character of God that keeps his people in the midst of fear. This is God's word, Isaiah 41, verse 10. This is what he says to his people. So do not fear. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Those are the words of God. And God's sweet words of comfort here to his people in Isaiah are meant to comfort us as well. Knowing God means we don't have to know fear. And more specifically, I want to just point out two reasons in this text that we don't have to know fear. The first one is God's presence. Here's the first reason we don't have to fear is because of God's presence. That's how the passage starts. It says, fear not, for I am with you. So to give a little context for where we are in Isaiah in this passage, um, here in this passage, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to a fearful people. God's people, Israel, they they have a lot of threats to deal with. So, of course, as we know, in the Old Testament, God dealt with the nation that he chose, the nation of Israel. And so they weren't just a religious community like a church, but they were also a nation. And they had all these powerful nations around them that they always feared that could overtake them and destroy them. Now, this is a fear that we're not as familiar with. Okay, okay, so if there's any fears about our safety sometimes in the United States, maybe it's isolated kind of terrorist attacks or something like that. But what we're not afraid of is that the nations right next to us might any day overtake us. We're not afraid that Canada is going to invade us, right? Right? That's not a regular fear we have. God's people did have that fear, and they were in this constant battle between trusting God and doing what he said or doing things their own ways because of their fear. So there were these kings, and these kings, if you read through the book of Kings and you see all these kings, there's this pattern where most of them are not faithful to God. Right? They'll lead people in the wrong directions, allow people to worship other gods, sometimes submit to these other nations. And the ironic thing is, it was their fear sometimes that made them disobey God, And it's that disobedience of God that led to the very thing they feared most, these nations overtaking them. And so in 586 B.C., right, is when the the Babylonians carried God's people away from their land, all the things that they feared, and they destroyed Jerusalem. That's known as the exile or Babylonian captivity, right? And even though the prophet Isaiah didn't live while that was happening, he wrote this. 
God spoke to him to write this to comfort God's people in the midst of it, right? So if there was any time where God's people had reason to be afraid, it was during this where they're wondering, will we ever, ever able to feel safe again? Will we ever be in our land again if, if God is still even with us? And God is kind enough to speak to them in advance. It was prophet Isaiah. And the thing that he whispers in their ears is don't be afraid. And God says those exact same words to us this morning, don't be afraid. Now, when we think about what Israel's going through, right, their land being ripped from them, people being killed and being away from everything that they've known, some of our situations may seem a little easy, right? But we don't have to be in exile in order to fear. We know that because all of us have different fears, I want to ask you to just think about for a second what your biggest fear is. Just think about it for a moment. What would you say if someone asked you your biggest fear? And I don't mean when you're being uh, pretend super-duper holy and somebody's like, what's your biggest fear? You're like, I don't fear nothing but God, brother. Just God. <laughs> fear God. No, I mean, really, what, think about that for a moment. What is your biggest fear? All of us have fears. used to be the show on TV that would play on people's fears called Fear Factor. It was an insane show. I don't know how it was on TV. They would, like, put people in pits of rats. They'd have to be in a tunnel with tarantulas, eat goat eyes, very strange things to play on people's fears because that's something natural about us. We get afraid, but when we think about our biggest fears, most of us, it's not stuff like that. Most of us, it's more kind of regular life stuff, like maybe losing a loved one or maybe more everyday stuff like, like people not liking us or our health declining. Fear is something that we all deal with, and there are fears in all of our lives. So when you think about your fears, and then you hear God say, don't be afraid, I wonder how that feels, right? It's a weird thing for somebody to just say, don't be afraid, because that's not usually a conscious decision we make. We're not usually like, you know what, I could be courageous right now, but I'm going to be afraid instead. It's usually just an emotion that we feel, right? Something comes, it feels threatening, and we have this emotion. Fear is when we dread something that's coming because we think it's a threat, right? So when we get a phone call late at night from a relative, we feel fear because we think there may be a threat. Maybe something happened to somebody, right? Or when we're with our kids in a mall and you look up and you can't see them, you feel fear because you think there may be a threat of crazy people around. And then when you find them, they feel fear when they see the look on your face. <laughs> or when you're driving and somebody breaks right in front of you, you got to slam on your brakes, you feel fear. You don't want to slam into them. We feel fear when there's something that looks like it's a threat. So what if you were in that situation, you're driving, somebody breaks in front of you, your friend's in the passenger seat, and right as they slam on their brakes, your friend thinks, I'll help them, and they scream at you, don't be afraid. <laughs> now, is that going to help you in this situation? No. First of all, you scared me more. <laughs> Secondly, you, don't ju you can't just say, okay, thank you, and choose not to be afraid. So what's the difference between your friend, who you'll never let ride with you again, and what God is doing here? Because God, in, the, in a difficult situation, is saying, don't be afraid. And I'll tell you two of the main differences is, the main difference is, as God says in his text, don't be afraid, he gives us very solid reasons not to be afraid. He gives us very solid reasons why what looks fearful to us isn't as fearful as we think it is, since we can't just turn fear off. The other thing is, our friend in the car just yelling at us, they can't do anything about it. The God right here telling us not to be afraid is not just another person observing what's happening. He also happens to be the one in control of everything that's happening. He happens to be the one who knows what happened before that and knows everything that will happen after that. So it means something for God to say that. So as God speaks to his people who are fearful and for good reason, he says they need to reassess the situation. 
right? Because fear always dies when that perception of danger goes away. When it doesn't seem dangerous anymore, then fear goes away. And God gives us a reason why we shouldn't see these things in such a dangerous way. I'll give you an example. When I was living in D.C., uh, just last year, I was an elder in my church there, and we had this elder retreat. And while on this elder retreat, we did spiritual things like study scripture and pray together, and we also did just fun things like play games. So there were these elder Olympics where they had all these things you could compete against different elders. And as I looked down the list and I could pick what I wanted to do, I was like, terrible at that, bad at that, no skills in that. And then basketball was there. I was like, not great at that, but I was looking around like, I'm better than these dudes. So that's the one I signed up for, and I think I got it. And then, so there are two teams. The other team picks this dude that everybody's acting like is the second coming of Michael Jordan. So I don't want to stereotype, he's the only other black elder, I'm going to just say. <laughs> and they were acting like he was, Michael Jordan came back. And so at first, no fear at all. I got this, I'm about to look amazing. After that, lots of fear, I hope no one films this. And we don't have to talk about how it ended. We already got the point of the illustration. We're only afraid when something seems dangerous based on how threatening something seems to us. So what God is saying to his people is, yes, this looks threatening. Yes, you're afraid. I'm telling you not to be afraid. I'm telling you to reassess the situation and to rethink about how you think about whether or not you should be afraid. Now, as one of your pastors, I'm aware of all the things going on in our lives all the difficult things that, that we're dealing with, whether that's financial situations or home situations or health situations or marital situations, and I could go on and on and on. We have lots of things in our lives that seem very scary. And where the natural response to those things is fear, but God is not only saying to his people in Isaiah, don't be afraid and to reassess that situation, he's saying that to every one of us. And it's a good feeling not to have to be afraid. It's one of the good things for us as believers. We sometimes just accept fear like it's just necessary. This is why also we don't like God saying this. We're like, yes, fear is necessary. It's just a part of life. But God is saying we don't have to be afraid. So somebody might be thinking, though, okay, trip fear is natural, right? So if fear is so natural and all of us feel it, why does the Bible always talk about it negatively? Because the Bible does talk about fear a lot. One example you may know of is in Joshua 1, where Joshua is about to lead his people. He's about to succeed Moses. And, and God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And we could look at a lot of examples like that. Actually, the most common command in scripture is don't be afraid. So fear is so natural. Why, why does scripture tell us not to do it? Fear is a natural response to unknowns. So why does Scripture say that? And here's why. Because fear can show our lack of trust in God. Fear can show our lack of trust in God. I don't mean just being scared when you're about to crash your car. That fear could save your life, right? I'm talking about the kind of fear that doesn't trust God because not all fear is sinful. Here's when fear turns to sin. When it comes from unbelief, or when it keeps you from obedience. So if you want to know, hey, I'm afraid right now. Is it sinful or not? Here's when it's sinful. When it comes from unbelief, or when it keeps you from obedience. So when fear of not being liked at your job keeps you from sharing the gospel with somebody, that would be sinful fear. 
when fear of being alone leads you to get in the kind of relationships that lead to impurity, or dating somebody who doesn't know Jesus, or just that fear of being alone makes you make bad relationship decisions, that would be sinful fear. When your fear of not having everything that you want or you need leads you to steal or leads you to doubt God, not trust him, that would be sinful fear. And that's the kind of fear that Scripture is calling us to fight. So God says, don't be afraid. He means this kind of sinful fear. We should pay very close attention to our fears because they expose our unbelief. They expose what's going on in our hearts. Our fears show us that we often think things are bigger than our God is. Those things that we fear, we often really fear them because we think they're bigger than God and God can't handle them. So you're even now thinking, what is there to reassess? This is terrible. There's nothing else to think about it. And I want to challenge you to think about whether or not you think that thing is bigger than God. Our response in a trial is kind of like an x-ray, right? You know what an x-ray is? Your leg hurts, you go in, they x-ray your leg, they're able to see in there and see if there are any fractures. So when a trial comes in our life, something really difficult, something that we would be afraid of, the way that we respond is kind of like an x-ray in that it exposes what's inside. If we respond in faith and trust, then we got a good x-ray, nothing's broken. But if we respond in fear and unbelief, then that shows that there's something broken in our hearts. Our trials are kind of like x-rays. So sometimes terrible things that happen in our lives, we ask, why, Lord? And we spend our entire time complaining instead of using that time to actually examine our hearts and think about what our fears expose. Our trials can be like an x-ray in that way. So God is telling his people to reassess, right? Fear is giving our circumstances more credit than they deserve. God is saying, no, 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 reassess. Yes, there's danger, but you don't have to be afraid. saying, yeah, bad things can happen, but you don't have to be afraid. It looks terrible, but you don't have to be afraid. And he gives them a reason. And I'd say to you, yeah, I mean, money might be tight, but you don't have to be afraid. And it might be hard with your kids right now, but you don't have to be afraid. And you don't know what's going to come next with your health, but you don't have to be afraid. And here's the reason God gave them and he gives us, because I am with you. And it sounds nice, doesn't it, to know that God is with us. But what does it mean? Well, when we look in the Bible, when, whenever Scripture talks about God being with us, it doesn't just mean just mere presence. It doesn't just mean that God is around, right? Because we know that God is so big that he's actually everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. It doesn't just mean he's there. It means more than that. The other thing is it's not always helpful if somebody's just present, but they don't do anything. Right? It's not just, just that he's there. So, for instance, you know, if two kids are about to fight after class, and one, one kid is like, hey, when school is out in the schoolyard, he's going to beat me up. Can you please come? And the teacher comes, and she just watches it happen. <laughs> it wasn't helpful that she was there. She didn't do nothing. And so when God here is talking about his presence, he's not just saying that he's around. There's something special about a relationship here. When God says he's with us in Scripture, it does mean that he's there, but it also means that he's going to work on our behalf according to his purposes. When God says he's with us, it does mean he's around, but it also means he's going to work on our behalf according to his promises. I'll give you other examples of this in Scripture to make it really clear. Genesis 39. 2 and 3, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. And what happened? He became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The Lord was doing something very special with Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery, accused of sexual, I mean, awful things, but God was with him. And God's purposes for him included him making him successful wherever he went. 
Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He's saying, don't be afraid, don't, because God is with you. And he's going to work on your behalf. You're not going to lose this battle. Jeremiah 1.19, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. When God says he's with us in Scripture, it means he's going to work on our behalf according to his promise. Now, just to be clear, this doesn't mean that God is going to win military battles for us. Don't go pick fights this week saying God is with me. That's not necessarily what it means. He's going to work according to his promises. So his promises to Israel and some of these specific characters like Joseph are unique. So sometimes pastors will take uh, scriptures like this to mean that God will give us any and everything we want. That's what it means that God is with us. He'll give us whatever we want, whatever we try to do. God will help us to succeed because he's with us. And there couldn't be more examples in scripture to show us that's not true. God was with Job and Job's life was a mess. God was with Paul, and Paul goes down a long list of things that went wrong in his life, shipwrecked, stoned, so forth and so on. And of course, we know that God was with the Lord Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. God being with us doesn't mean everything's always going to go perfectly, but it does mean he's going to work on our behalf according to his promises. So here's one of my questions for you. How often do you think about God's promises to you? I mean, even right now, think about it. What has God promised you in his word? God has promised to give you eternal life in Jesus. God has promised to turn all things for good because you love God and you're called according to his purpose. God has not promised Mike's working all the time. Right? God has promised never to leave or forsake you. God has promised to encourage you through his people. God has promised to speak to you in his word. God has promised to seal you with his Holy Spirit, to lead you with his Holy Spirit. God has promised that he's going to glorify you and you're going to live forever. God has promised that you're, you've been predestined. God has promised he's going to pour out the riches of his grace on you for all of eternity. God has promised that you have every, uh, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has promised to equip you. God has promised you so many incredible things. And for God to say that he's with us means he is present, but he's also going to work on our behalf according to the things that he's promised. And that's really good news. And, of course, that helps us to reassess our situations. Right? That means there's nowhere that we can go where God won't be with us and working with us. Right? There's no valley so low that God won't go there. There's no mountain so high that God can't go there with us. There's no situation so difficult that God is like, mm, that's a little too hard. Let me step back. God is with us, even in the hardest things. You know, one of the most loving things you can do for somebody is to be present with them. Right? Sometimes, you know, somebody will be going through something really hard. Maybe they're in a hospital bed, and sometimes you don't know what to say or do. You're not a doctor. You can't do anything about it. And the most loving thing that you can do is to be with them. God is with us, and he has the power to do something. And that's really good news, and that should make us to reassess. And on top of that, he'll never leave us either. Some of us, some of the hardest heartbreaks of our lives are because people have left us, because our fathers left us, because someone close to us left us. God will never leave us. I mean, this is an eternal promise that I'm with you. 
Listen to the next part of the verse. Very similar. It says, be not dismayed, for I am your God. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. So there's another call not to be anxious or fearful or, or distressed. And the word here for dismayed basically means pretty much the same thing as above. It's fearful. And the reason is because of God. So I, I want you to notice that nowhere in this verse does God say, don't be afraid because you're better than that. He doesn't say, don't be afraid. I thought you were stronger than that. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't act like a baby. You're grown. That's not what God says. He says, don't be afraid. And then he points back to himself. I am your God. What does that mean to say, I am your God? It's trusting God that kills off that fear. And we should be struck by the impact of God saying that right after Isaiah 40. So it may seem like an obvious statement to say, hey, I am your God. Like, yes, God, go on with the reasons that I should not be afraid. But if we see how God has just bragged about himself in Isaiah 40, I'm, I'm going to read just a little bit about that. One of my favorite passages. Listen how God brags about himself. And then keep that in context when he says, I am your God. Isaiah 40, verse 12. God says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? He's basically saying, who sat God down and was like, let me tell you how it is. The clear answer to that question is nobody. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? The answer to that question is, of course, nobody. An idol, a craftsman cast it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who's too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that won't rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth his emptiness. And I could read on and on and on. God is bragging about how incredible he is. When we brag, it's a problem because we're just sinful human beings who don't deserve the glory. It's arrogant. It's prideful. When God brags, there's nothing more loving or holy that he can do. We're drawing attention to ourselves wrongly. God draws attention to himself rightly. And as God draws attention to himself, that puts all the content in those words for I am your God. This is our God. We're not talking about a weak God who's just trailing along behind you. We're talking about the God who sits above the circle of the earth. And as he looks down, it's in heavens. It's like grasshoppers. We're not talking about a God who had to build a house. We're talking about the God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Who's never learned anything because he's God. I mean, that, that's the God we're talking about. So when he says, don't be afraid, but I am your God, you know, as he speaks to Israel, he's saying, not like these false gods of these other nations, not like these idols that men make with their hands, I am your God. To us, he's saying, not the money that you tend to worship and center your life around. That's not your God. I am your God. He's saying, not those relationships you make an idol and center your life around. I am your God. The problem with idols is that when they fall, our entire life crumbles. If you build your life around money, your life won't be able to stand. It's not strong enough. 
If you build your life around relationships, your life will not be able to stand. It's not strong enough. And so when relationships look in danger, of course you fear because you made it your God. When money's in danger, of course you fear because you made it your God. And God is saying, you don't have to be afraid because I am your God. There's no stock market crash that can take God off the throne. There's no unfaithfulness in a relationship that can take God off the throne. God is God, and he's your God. And that means that we don't have to know fear. So number one reason we don't have to know fear, knowing God means we don't have to know fear because of God's presence. Secondly, knowing God means we don't have to know fear because of God's provision. God's provision. When uh, me and my wife got married in 2009, uh, people who came to our wedding, one of the things they pointed out that they thought was beautiful was our vows. Uh, while we were saying them, there were oohs and ahs and smiles and tears, and I felt accomplished. <laughs> but, but when I look back and when I had those conversations, I don't think, you know, the thing that made it so beautiful to people was anything special about our vows. I think it's just the concept of a vow, right? To commit yourself to somebody who you know is going to fail over and over again and to say, no matter what comes, I will love you and commit myself to you. To say, I don't know what in the world is going to happen. I don't know if we're going to be broke. I don't know if we're going to be rich. I don't know if we're going to get sick. I don't know if we'll be healthy. I don't know anything. But I've committed myself to love you. I think that's, that's a powerful thing to watch. Anytime I go to weddings, it, it's powerful to see. And that's basically what we see God doing in this text. It's powerful to commit your love to somebody with everything that you have. So it's like the first part of the text, right? Don't be afraid because I'm with you and I'm your God. That's, that's kind of like the, the pronouncements, right? God saying he's our groom and we're his bride. And this part is kind of like the vows. Listen to what God vows to do. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's an incredible God. I mean, this isn't a God who doesn't, who's uh, unaware that his people are going to fail him. He knows, and he's committing himself to a weak people. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't like to admit that I'm weak. I don't like help. So I don't like when people help me with things. Sometimes it makes me feel weird. So if I'm about to take the trash out, and my wife reminds me right before I do it, bothers me more than anything in the world. It's like, I was going to do it. I got it. Thank you. Right? Does that ever happen to y'all? Is that just me? Thank you, Wes. I appreciate it. Thank you. Or like when I'm at the airport checking in at the kiosk, and a lady comes up, hey, can I? I'm like, ma'am, I've flown before. Thank you. I got this. God bless you. I know I look 10, but I got this. Thank you. And how, why, how come we don't like help sometimes? Because it implies that we're weak. It implies that we can't do it on our own. It's why we don't like when people offer help that we feel like we don't need. But here's the thing in this text. God offers us help. He says he's going to strengthen us, which implies that we're weak. He says he's going to help us, which implies that we can't do it on our own. He says he's going to uphold us, which implies that we cannot stand on our own. And here's the thing. As much as sometimes we like to pretend we're perfectly strong and self-sufficient, God's not going to let us live under that lie. And he's freely offering his help. I don't know why we're so afraid to admit we're weak, especially when we have a God who's promised to help us. 
He's promised to help us. All of us are weak in different ways, and as believers, we have to understand this. We have to know our role in a relationship. We are the damsel in distress, and God is Prince Charm, right? We're the ones in danger. God is the hero. We're the one drowning. God is the lifeguard. And anytime we get that mixed up, like, now nah, we both lifeguards, just helping together. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, right? We have to understand our role in the story, and here God promises to strengthen us and to help us and uphold us. And those words mean exactly what you think they mean. Strengthen means to make you strong. That help you means to come, come aside you and assist you with something. That uphold you means to keep you and to help you to stand firm. And I want us to think about what that means for those of us in this room who feel emotionally weak right now. Those of us who feel like there's a cloud over our heads all the time. Those who feel like our emotions are out of our control, we're too weak to control them. Isn't it good news that God has promised to strengthen us? That's really good news. What about those of us who are physically weak? Those of us who maybe struggle to get out of the bed. Those of us who maybe didn't even make it here today. For God to say that he's going to help us is incredible. I mean... As somebody who feels inadequate for the task every single day, for God to promise to help me in his word is incredibly powerful. And those of us who are spiritually weak, who feel like we're always on the edge of almost leaving the faith, for God to say he'll uphold us, he'll keep us standing firm, is incredible. And what I love about that uphold us is that he doesn't say, I'll send somebody to uphold you. He says, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is promising to uphold us with his very hand himself. It's almost like we're afraid of a dark room, and God holds our hand and walks through it with it and guides us. This is an incredibly loving God. And every day we're going to find ourselves in situations where we can't do it on our own, and God promises us that we don't have to. And that's why we don't have to fear. Um, when you think about fear, you don't, in order to fear, you don't have to necessarily feel like somebody's going to steal control away from God. Right? So you can fear. You can believe in the sovereignty of God and the control of God, and you can still have sinful fear. The way that we fear sometimes is I know God's in control, but even if he's control, I know that doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. Right? Sometimes we fear not because we think God is not going to control it, but because it's hard. But God has promised to give us strength even so. I can think of seasons. I've told you guys this before, that I have an illness called chronic fatigue. And because of that, you know, I'm physically weak all the time. Cannot remember the last time I felt rested. Can't remember the last time I felt good. Can't remember the last time I was able to work three hours in a row. I mean, I have no stamina. My body doesn't recharge. Sometimes I can't get out of the bed. Sometimes I can't do any work at all. You can imagine that can be difficult. Sometimes it feels like there's this cycle in my life of just letting everybody down. I feel like I'm letting my wife and my kids down because my body quits on me. And I feel like I'm letting the people I do music with down. I feel like I'm letting the people, my book publisher down. I feel like I'm letting just the people at the church down because I'm like, let's get coffee. And then I can't because my body quits on me. It feels like this cycle of letting everybody down. And that can be very difficult. And what that makes me feel is incredibly weak and unable to do any of the tasks that God has set before me. But when I read a text like this, it helps me not to be hopeless. 
It helps me not to be overcome with fear. It helps me not to be overcome with depression because God is promising to help me. And let me tell you, when I'm most discouraged is when I spend all of my time reflecting on how weak I am, reflecting on how uh, incapable I am. That's when I'm most discouraged. God is calling us not to look to ourselves, but to look to him. We don't fight fear by looking at the weak people. That reminds you of the reason you're afraid. You fight fear by looking at the strong one who's going to work on your behalf. So how does God do that? How does he strengthen us and uphold us and help us? I wish I had some magic answers. I wish it was like, you know, click your heels together and take three steps and you'll be strong. But you know what? God, the way he normally works is through what we call means, means of grace. So God's word, for instance. God strengthens us in his word when instead of looking to ourselves, we look to God. I mean, if we want to remember that we don't have to be afraid, it's helpful to read Isaiah 40 and remember the kind of God that is your God and who's with you. That, that's big. That's helpful. And what about prayer, right? Sometimes instead of talking to God about our issues and our weaknesses and the things we're afraid of, we just complain about it to other people who can't really do anything about it. Except say, yeah, I know that's hard. It's good to share what we're going through with people, but we should go to God. Through prayer, God strengthens us and upholds us and helps us. What about his people? What about fellowship? Right, when we, we come together and we sing these songs, How Great Is Our God, this is not just warm-up for the sermon. It's not just extra time so the late people can get here for the sermon. One of the beautiful things about these songs is we're singing to God and to one another, reminding each other of the greatness of our God. That strengthens us. That upholds us. That helps us to remember the character of our God. Those are good things. You ever been hanging with somebody who's just more mature than you and you're encouraged slash convicted by it? I had this friend who no matter where we were or who we were around, he would share the gospel with any and everybody he saw. I mean, I don't think I ever was with him. I mean, we're just at Subway and a dude is cleaning the restroom. He pokes his head out for a second. He's like, hey, sir, hey, hey, do you know Jesus? <laughs> like, dang, when was the last time I chased someone down? It's good for us to hang with other people who know Jesus. That strengthens us. That helps us. That upholds us. And we should speak encouragement to one another. So, look, as we, as we talk about God's provision for us, and that being a reason not to fear, I know there are a lot of us in this room and in this congregation who are wrestling with different type of job stuff and, and financial stuff. Some of us who want a better job, right? Some of us who can't really provide as well as we want to with our current jobs. And, and here's what this text is saying to us here. It's not saying that everything's going to turn out exactly as we hope. It's not saying God will always provide for you in the ways that you ask for, but God has promised to strengthen us and uphold us and help us, right? He's saying hard things are not impossible to endure. So it is going to be hard to continue to be faithful to God. It is going to be hard to continue to hope in God. It is going to be hard not to fall into depression, but that God has promised to help you and to strengthen you and to uphold you. This is the kind of provision that God promises no matter what. Right? There could be seasons that are really hard that God doesn't provide in the ways that you want, but he'll provide you with the strength that you need. And this is the kind of confidence for the unknown. Right? I've heard someone say that, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. Right? Like, you don't know what's in front of you, but I know who's with me. Right? If Mike Tyson was my friend, I wouldn't be afraid of any fights. Mike Tyson is with me. I don't know who's over there, but 
It's not Mike Tyson. I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, but I know God. And because of that, I don't have to live in fear. And we don't always like that. We like when God provides the ways that we like him to. John made a great point this week in Bible study saying that often we, we pray that God would do things in our life in such a way where we don't really have to trust him. Our main prayer is, hey, give me everything so I don't have to trust you. We don't always like when God doesn't provide the ways that we want to. And if that's where you are, right, if you're saying, I, I can't trust God until he shows me and provides in all these ways, then you don't really trust God. That's not really faith. That's something else. That's you saying, unless God submits himself to my will, I won't submit myself to his. That's not really how this works. That's not real faith. God has proven his track record time and time again. And God saying he's with us means a no to our prayers. It's never like a no, get out of my face. It's a no, I have something better for you, and I'm with you, and I'll work on your behalf. So I'm purposely being repetitive because sometimes it's hard for us to remember and to let these things into our heart. So I'm purposely being repetitive. Some of us may say it's great that God would strengthen us, but why in the world does he even leave us weak? Why not just make us perfectly strong? Let me tell you, for me personally, it's in those times of intense weakness that I trust God the most because I'm not able to pretend like I'm strong enough to do it on my own. And it's a gift from God. We have to trust God. Now, these are incredible promises. These are sweet promises. But these promises are not promises for any and everybody. God here spoke to his people. And God now, as he tells us not to be afraid because he's with us, speaks to his people. If we don't have a relationship with God, we can't expect him to be with us. And the thing that God did to accomplish these promises for us is he sent his son Jesus who died on the cross for sins. So here's what I want to say. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I do not want you to go through this very scary, difficult life on your own. I want this to be a promise that you can fall back on, that God is your father and he's with you, that he'll help you and strengthen you. And that's available to all of us in the Lord Jesus. If we would repent of our sins, turn away from our sins, put our faith in Jesus, God would bring us into his fold, make us one of his own, call us his own, and he'll keep these promises to us. So sincerely, if you don't know Jesus, please come talk to us after the service. We want you to know. We want to help you know what it means to know this God. So as we close, I just want to remind you that we, most of the time, assess fear by thinking about how scary or how big or how strong the opponent is. And I want to remind you God's calling us to reassess. So when something happens and we say, should I be afraid? The next question is, do I know God? If the answer to that question is yes, then the answer to the other question is no. You don't have to know fear if you know God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you so much for your promises to us. We thank you so much for your presence with us, Lord. God, I pray you would give us grace as we go into this next week not to be overcome with fear. Give us grace to remind each other of our God. Father, and we ask that you would keep your promises to us. 
that you would strengthen us, you'd uphold us, and you'd help us this week. Father, we pray that as the world sees us, trust you, and be strengthened supernaturally by you, that you would show yourself off. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.